once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. If you've been watching Cosmos, you will see examples of where religion and science have clashed over the years and how science has prevailed, how reality changes belief. But Christianity is not blind faith. It's rooted in the history and reality of the resurrection. Today, lead teacher Randy Pope asks, what if it didn't happen? An Easter message, which covers 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 8 and 12 through 20. Thank you for joining us today. Question. Why in the world would we make Easter so unique and special when in reality every Sunday is the Lord's day, right? Every Sunday is. This is one of 52, but look at the difference. Look at the number of people that show. We have to have extra services and so forth. I mean, you are actually here on time today. Did you notice that? (laughs) When we started the service, you were here. That never happens at Perimeter Church. Never. Uh, Look how many are dressed up. I've seen more ties, coats, ties, dresses than I ever see on a typical weekend service here. I mean, I, literally, I was coming, I was going to wear a, you know, typical, just a sports shirt type thing. And Carol says, no, 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 you can't wear that. And I said, why not? She says, it's Easter. You can't wear that. You've got to wear a, you know, button down at least. You got to, well, what's the big deal? Why do we make such a big deal? Let me give you the answer. You know Why? Because the reality is this, it's been known through the history of Christendom that Christianity stands or it falls on the deity of Jesus Christ. And the deity of Jesus Christ stands or falls on the reality of the resurrection. If there is no resurrection, there is no Christianity. Christians know that. And so we pick this one week and we celebrate to say, let's focus on that reality of the resurrection upon which, were it not true, there would be no deity of Christ. There would certainly be no Christianity that's valid. That's why we celebrate in such a big way. If you think about Jesus, when he came along and living his earthly ministry, he made some pretty incredible claims. One of the claims that he made early on He said, uh, before Abraham was, I am. Now, uh, the Jewish people, many of them were thinking and saying that, uh, you know, Abraham is the beginning of our Judaism. There's the beginning. It's with Abraham. He says, no, 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 no. Before Abraham, I am, meaning I've always existed. He was born into this world. I'm God. I've always existed. Then he came along with all these I am statements. You remember many of them. He said, I am the bread of life. In fact, if you eat of me, you'll never hunger again. If you drink of me, you'll never thirst. And he's saying, you need to know this, that if if you want that which really, truly satisfies the heart, you're going to find it through me. And then he said, I'm the light of the world. And he says, in fact, if you follow me, you'll never live in darkness. You'll never know what darkness is. You know, really only blind people, for the most part, know true, ultimate, full darkness. Now, you can go into some cave areas and they say, this is truly darkness. We rarely see it. But we know enough about darkness to know to live in darkness 
would be a horrible thing to know forever and ever and ever you live in darkness. He says, you don't have to live for eternity in darkness. Follow me and you literally will know the light of the world. And then he said, I am the resurrection. In fact, if you believe in me and you follow me, then even though you die and you will die, you will yet live forever. You will never truly ultimately die, though you die on this earth. Why? Because I am the resurrection, but you must follow me. You know what he's doing? If you take the I am's, the, all the I am's that Jesus gave, he's really saying three things. You can just put them in almost the categories of what he's saying. He's saying, I'll give you the three most important commodities of life. Anybody that sat with me over lunch investigating Christianity, they know these three words. Anybody who has heard me preach through the years would say, I've heard these three words. The three great commodities, purpose, a reason to live. Number two, freedom. I'm not talking about the license to do anything you want to do. I'm talking about the power or ability to do what you should do. And the third is assurance that when you die, you're going to be okay. I think anybody would agree. Those three, I can't imagine anything more important than those three right there. And Jesus is saying, I bring you all of that. However, if the resurrection never happened, then those three claims are bogus. Now, did he rise from the dead? I find it interesting. There are two people in history that have written on this that make some pretty bold claims. And these are those that lived at the same relative time of Jesus. Uh, the first is a man called Flavius Josephus. Some of you may have heard of Flavius Josephus. Josephus was the great historian of his day. Uh, he wrote this that I'm about to read in about 90 A.D. So many people who lived with Jesus while Jesus was alive were still alive when he wrote this. Keep that in mind as a historian. He is Jewish. He's not a religious Jewish person who follows the faith. He's certainly not a Christian, but he's just writing history. This guy is, is so legitimate that you could go to any of the great universities across the country and go into the history departments, you're going to find this man being used. In fact, even beyond the great university, you can go somewhere like the University of Georgia, you'll find it there too, I'm telling you. It's my only shot today, I only had one opportunity, there it was. All right, let's read what he says. Now there was about this time, Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man. For he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. He was the Christ. And when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men amongst us, had condemned him to the cross, these who loved him did not forsake him, for he appeared to them alive again on the third day, as the divine prophets had foretold these and 10,000 other wonderful things concerning him. And the tribe of Christians, so named for him, are not extinct at this day. Pretty bold statement there. Now, let's read another historian that lived about this exact time period. He writes this way, a little earlier than this. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, 
that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, that He appeared to Cephas, then to the Twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have died or fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. The author, the Apostle Paul. Now, Paul, obviously a very stout follower of Jesus. Josephus, not so. But both of them really making the same claim that this man really did rise from the dead, if you can call him a man, as Josephus said. I find it interesting that you read nothing more in the Scriptures from Paul or others about the evidence of a resurrection. If it's that important, why don't they give all these evidences and all these details? They don't do it. Paul does not write in that way, and I think I know why. You know why I suspect he did not? He didn't need to. He didn't need to convince the audience of his readers who were for the most part followers or Christians. He said, you believe in the resurrection. If I ask you here, I don't care how faithful or unfaithful to your faith you are. If I say, do you believe in the resurrection? Yes or no? Probably the vast, vast, vast majority of you would say, oh, I I believe in it. I do. Now, the interesting thing is this. As we look at our lives, many of us here that would say, oh, I believe in it, would not say that the purpose, freedom, and assurance that the faith offers is really that much a part of my daily experience. In fact, those of us in that camp, we have confused a lot of those outside our camp. And they look and say, I'm not sure what to believe, and I mean, this person acts this way, this person this way, I don't see, I don't know. And and they get confused. I understand that. Many of you are those that are confused because of some of us. But the fact that he didn't argue, was there a resurrection? He just assumed there was. However, he did argue. And you know how he argued from this point on? What I read from Paul just then is from 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to pick up where he left off. And we're going to read the text that follows. And he's not going to argue for the resurrection. You know what he's going to argue? He's going to argue, what if there were no resurrection? And he's going to make an argument that you would know purpose, freedom, and assurance in any form or fashion. Here's how he's going to do it. Let's look at the first of the, of the, uh, the three commodities that he is going to address in the text. Beginning in verse 12. But it's first, our purpose is invalid. Verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. And I want you to note that our preaching is vain. But more importantly, your faith also is vain. Key words there. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. You know what he's saying? He said, there are people amongst us, as he writes, 
that they believe in the resurrection of Jesus, but they're holding to their sex view that no human can rise from the dead. Now, Jesus, that's a different deal. He rose, but, but not, other, not other people. And then there were some among them that would say, well, you know, I don't know about this Jesus. I'm not really sure he did rise from the dead. And so he's saying, okay, if there is no resurrection of Jesus, then what would life be like? Very interesting. This word, faith is vain. The word vain, you know what it means? Sham. It's a sham. Literally, it is empty. It is worthless. It is no good at all. Not just the preaching of Paul, but the faith. Do you understand what he's saying is this? Our faith is, it means that we're wrapping our life purpose around the person of Jesus Christ. That's what purpose is for the Christian. And he says this idea of wrapping your purpose in life around Jesus is, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. Why would you do that if there were no resurrection? Now, let me say a word about this thing, purpose, life purpose. Life purpose is saying as a Christian that, as I said, we, we wrap our, our faith around this relationship with Jesus, our purpose in life around the faith. It's saying that we believe that there is one purpose for living, and it is an eternal purpose. And the purpose is this, summarize it however you want, it's to glorify God, meaning I want God to be honored because of the way I live. The person that has this faith, life purpose, that's consistent now in the way they're living and what they believe, they're waking up in the morning and saying, you know what, I've got one reason to live and that's to bring glory to God. We've all, if we've read the Bible, we come across these phrases about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom is come and the kingdom has come, all this kingdom of God stuff. Do you know what he's saying? Kingdom is the reign of Christ over his people. And the kingdom coming means that more and more people are coming in to that kingdom as the kingdom grows. But those of us in the kingdom are seeing his reign or control over us intensifying and deepening all the time as we grow in our faith. His kingdom comes. And he says, your life purpose, Christian, is to see God honored by causing his kingdom to come. He even says it, seek my kingdom first and every other thing will be added to you. So life for the Christian whose purpose is really aligned with their beliefs is saying, I live to bring God's kingdom to bear upon this earth, to introduce others to Jesus, to help people who are hurting be helped, to just extend love in his name, whatever it means. Now the reality is, for many of us, we say, oh, I believe in the resurrection. We say, no, wait, is our life purpose temporal or is it eternal? Well, how do you really know? I'll tell you how you can tell. You can just ask two questions of yourself. How do I view my life problems, number one? Number two, how do I make life decisions? Simple as that. That's the way the apostle Paul thought about it. Because in the book of Philippians, chapter 1, this is what he says. He says in the 20th verse, really what is his life purpose? He says, for me to live is Christ 
and to die is gain. So he's saying, that's my, my purpose is wrapped around my identity in Jesus. And he lived it out. The verses that precede that verse talk about how he views his life problems. And he's in prison when he writes, and he says, my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, meaning the truth of God, what he's done for us. And he says, and in this, I rejoice. The book of Philippians is being written while he is in prison. A horrible place to be. People say, do anything, get out of prison. He says, you know what? I'm okay with being in prison because my purpose is to glorify God, advance his kingdom. And because of my imprisonment, the word is going out to the whole Praetorian area. He says, it is wonderful. I am so excited by the fact that I can go through this because what I want most of all is being accomplished. Do you know this is what's happened to him? He has understood life purpose in terms of looking at your problems in this regard. Not like the person who says, I don't believe that God has anything to do with my problems. Oh, he was far beyond that. He knew better. A lot of people say that. Now, he'd come to the place, he said, I know that God allows bad things to happen to me. Now, a lot of us are there. A lot of us are angry at God because of that very point. We believe it. God's allowed it. I don't like God for what he's done. Not Paul. Paul would say, oh, I believe that God allows bad things to happen to me. Ah, in order that good things can happen in me. There is where he saw it. He says, I know that the tribulations of this world produce all kind of good effects in my life. So he says, I'm okay with that. But he never stopped there. For him, he went so far to say, no, I believe that God allows bad things to happen to me in order that good things can happen in me in order that eternal things can happen through me. Wow. That's where he was. So he says, okay, i got some life problems. I don't like the problems more than anybody else would. But I see what's happening through my problems, and in that I rejoice. And I have joy in life. The very heart of rejoice is joy. And he finishes then with the statement, for me to live as Christ to die as gain, why wouldn't I think that way? But then he starts talking about how he makes life decisions. You know what he says? He says, I'm hard-pressed. I don't know which way to choose, whether to die now or to go on living for the service of Christ on this earth. He was not suicidal. He knew he could choose his pathway, go back, go right into Jerusalem, get into Jerusalem, and he would be stoned to death. He knew that, and that's what he preferred. But he said, however... I've chosen, and basically saying, to mark my way very wisely and carefully not to die for your sake, church, so that I might serve you as God would have me do. Do you know what that looks like for you and me? It means that we start asking, well, how am I viewing my life problems? How do I view them? See, I'm going to make a suggestion. I believe this with all my heart. I think virtually every one of us will one day be in prison. Every one of us will one day be in prison. Now, I'm not talking about a prison that is a literal jail cell, but we're going to be in some kind of prison at some point. Maybe it's a physical prison with our physical condition. They call it cancer. They call it MS. They call it, you know, 
uh, whatever disease or problem or whatever we have, there's a physical prison, and we, we can't get out of some of these prisons. We're not going to get out. Now, for some of us, it's a relational prison, maybe the worst of all prisons. Maybe you're bound in a relationship with somebody that you are in conflict with, and there's nothing but pain and agony and heartache every single day. And you don't have a right means out of it, and it's just, maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a child, maybe it's a, a spouse. You, can't, you don't know what, what do I do? Maybe it's a, uh, maybe it's a financial prison. Maybe financially you can't make the rent, you can't stay in the home, you're going to lose what's important to you. I don't know what the prison is. We're all going to face our prisons. And the question is, how will we view it? Will we say, oh, God allows bad things to happen to me? Or is it going to be, you know, he allows things to happen to me so that good things can happen in me? Or do we go so far and say so that eternal things can happen through me? There's a person that has an eternal perspective. Or let's take the Let's take the, uh, how you make your decisions. Maybe you're in a marriage and you can walk away from the marriage. You can get out of that prison. Maybe you can just desert your spouse. But you have to ask, is that a temporal life purpose that I want to find happiness immediately right now by my circumstances? Or would you say, no, I'm going to stick in the marriage so that I can honor the Lord and see what God may choose to do there? What about if you're a young girl, you're going to college, out of high school? You start asking, I need to make a decision. Do I get in a sorority or do I not? Maybe you decide to get in a sorority. Then you start asking, well, do I get in this sorority or that sorority? If I have an opportunity, what would most honor God? It's just all about living life to honor God. But I'll tell you this, if there's no resurrection... Paul's saying, it's all a bust. It doesn't matter. All this stuff is just, you've made it up, Christians, and now you might feel better about rejoicing in your pain, but it's stupid because it's pain you shouldn't be rejoicing about. Unless there is a resurrection. So he talks about this thing called purpose. It's a very, very, very important factor in life. Is it real? It would only be so if it is true that there is a resurrection. I put it this way. If no resurrection, our purpose in life is a sham. We're fools. But if the resurrection is real and you and I are living with a temporal purpose right now, we are truly the fool of fools, are we not? Sure we are. I love the statement, one of my heroes of the past, Jim Elliott, died in the 1950s as a martyr for his faith. And he knew he was facing the possibility of such when he chose to do what he did for the faith. But he said this, a man is no fool to give up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. There's the wise person right there. If there's a resurrection... We got a great purpose. If no resurrection, it's all a sham. Now he hits number two. Number two, he, he puts it this way. He says, our freedom then would be imagined, verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. So he changes the word now, and he says worthless. 
you are still in your sins. Very important word, in there. In your sins. Now, the word worthless means futile or fruitless. So he's basically using a different word to say the same thing. It's a sham. It's no good. It's, it's of no value. But what he says here is that there are a couple of words that you need to be introduced to. I don't think I've ever used it this way. There are two words that you can understand the Christian faith. There are two prepositions. As they relate to sin, when you began to understand this, you began to understand the faith. The first is the word in, preposition in. The second is the preposition to. In and to. Let's look at the word in as it's used in John chapter 8, verse 24. He says, therefore, I say, said to you, these are non-followers, that you will die, and notice it says, in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. That's John writing. And then Paul, he writes in Ephesians 2 verse 1, and you were dead in your sins, trespasses and sins. And so he's talking about this idea that we are brought into the world in a condition of sin. We have a nature of sin. That's the teaching of Christianity. We have a nature of sin. And because of that nature of sin, we are sentenced to the penalty of death. And we are controlled by the power of sin. So there we are in the condition of sin. But then we begin to understand, well, there's, wait, there's something called death to sin. And you find that in the book of Romans 6, the second verse at the end says, How shall we who died to sin still live in it? It's very interesting. You know what he says in the next verses? He follows and he says, Oh, why would we who have died to sin still live in it? Because we've been baptized with Jesus, meaning we've come into a union with him. And we've been raised up in newness of life. We have a new quality of ability, power that comes by being resurrected with Jesus. You see, folks, please, you that are seekers here, don't think for a minute that becoming a Christian means you've decided to pick Christianity as your religion. No. There's an in, and then you go to. And it's in that transfer of being in sin to dying to sin that we really truly become a Christian that's when we get the ability or the power to change and I wish you knew the stories that I know of perimeter church I saw a man I hugged a good friend of mine in here in one of the earlier services today I met him 20 years ago you talking about a cocaine addict oh my goodness been in it for who knows how long, in it as deep as you get, had to go to a rehab facility. Every person in this facility that he was with, every person dead now. He lived through it. You know what he'd tell you? Man, I was changed. I went from being in sin to dying to sin, and he's had 16 years of sobriety from drugs. I think of couples in this church, one of which hated each other. I'm telling you, if I ever saw anybody, I said, this is a divorce and there will be no hope for this family. And today, madly in love with each other. You know what they'd say? Oh, it's because of what God did for me. It's the power that I got from, from the freedom of being in Christ. Not in sin, but in Christ. That's where it came from. 
Is it real? I want you to check out a video. Look at the screen. This is going to be a, a man in this church, came to this church two to three years ago, and he had no understanding about what it meant to be in sin and certainly not what it meant to be dead to sin. Listen to his story. My name is Jeff Hopeck, and I was born and raised Catholic uh, from kindergarten all the way up to uh, 12th grade. Went to college, and my faith did nothing but just decline, if not completely go away. And after college, I took a job with the Secret Service. I was a Secret Service officer and worked for George W. Bush. Got onto his advanced detail, traveled the world. It was great. However, my faith was absolutely at that point non-existent. In 2009, I started a business and as my business took off and grew, um, I had a consultant come in and it happened to be my brother. I always knew my brother as a person to live one particular way and, and that was um, sort of the same way I did. Well, let me just tell you that I witnessed some of the most amazing change in my brother's life as he was consulting for, uh, for my business. He started talking, in, in our, literally in our business meetings, he started talking about what I know now is the gospel, but he started planting seeds. And I was wondering, what is he doing? What, how can this be so much different? I actually, I love it. And I wanted it. He mentioned this thing called discipleship. So I started secretly going to a perimeter and uh, brought my girlfriend and we started to listen to the, uh, the, the message here. And we heard about this thing called Life Issues, that we need to check it out. And it's basically the four little books. And it was about book three that, that I can remember that I really trusted my life to Jesus. And by that, I mean, I understood the message of the gospel, which is that I don't have to keep doing and keep trying. It's already done. I remember from that point on uh, going forward, it was like I was walking around minus a hundred pound backpack. There was such great freedom in my life. As I look back, my whole purpose, my whole purpose to life before being uh, awakened was to just accumulate and you know, if I can give a little bit in the collection basket and be, be good to people, right, <laughs> I should be okay. And that was my plan for, uh, for salvation. Now my purpose is completely different. Now my purpose, no matter what it is I'm doing, my purpose is to glorify God. So when you get to meet, you know, meet the person of Jeff Hopeck, my soul has been awakened. You know, in the earlier service, I won't do it here, but I, I said, how many of you people, I mean, truly, seriously, believe you've had a change in your life that was not just you changing you, but it was something about a work of God in you that has made you a different person? I mean, seriously, and you, you know, if you really believe that, raise your hand. You know what? It was amazing how many hands went up. It amazed me all over. It shouldn't amaze me. But you know what I said, as I would say to you, if you were one that could raise your hand? If there's no resurrection, man, have you been fooled. A psychological something has happened. You've figured out how to feel good about some changes, but trust me, 
It has nothing to do with God. If there is no resurrection. So here's the question. How do you go from being in sin to being dead to sin? I want you to read two verses out of Colossians. This, I think, says it as well as any right here. In fact, I think next year I'm going to really elaborate in a big way on this one. When you were dead in your transgression and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. And notice these words, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Man, some incredible, fascinating imagery here. Certificate of debt. You know the way I like to think of that? When we're brought into this world, it's kind of like we have this meter. And the meter, like a water meter that's going around little bit by little bit as water's being used and so forth. Well, we start sinning from the day we, I mean, we come into this world. We're sinners. And so that thing is turning. And it just keeps turning and keeps turning. It never stops. It may slow down from time. Some of us are just, it's just flying. But it's going all the time. And then we come to a particular time, we say, oh, you know what? I realize i got a problem with this sin stuff. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to stop that meter from spinning. You can't do it. And if you could do it, you'd have all of the spinning that's been going on for the years up till that time somehow would have to be dealt with. You know what it means to be a Christian? That means you take that meter and you say, I'm helpless. I cannot say anything but guilty. I've got a meter that proves it. And you pass that over to Jesus and he pays for it. I mean, the certificate of debt is one thing. The cross of justice is another. And he pays for that penalty on our behalf so that we can have, as it's called, a cancellation of debt. Can you imagine that if somebody... I mean, I had the means, the capability, the wealthiest human in America, and says, I'm going to pay off the American debt and could do it. The U.S. debt. Can you imagine what would happen to our economy and to all the inflation and everything? It would just be incredible. Everyone would be so excited. They would pick that day and say, this is a national holiday. We'll celebrate it every year. Do you know that's what Easter is? Easter is an international celebration talking about the great cancellation of the debt of the heart of a human. That's all it is. That's why we make such a big deal. But the truth of it is, let me tell you, if you think you got freedom and there's no resurrection, you do not have freedom. Don't know what it is, but it's not real freedom. Let's look at the last, the third. Assurance would be impossible. Verse 18 of our text reads, Then those also who have fallen asleep, which means have died, in Christ, meaning as Christians, they've perished. They have just perished. And we just wonder how many of you are living day to day. I know some of you are. You're living day to day to see somebody that you've lost, that you love so much, you cannot wait to the day you see them. Particularly if it's your spouse or your child. Maybe a parent, but particularly a spouse or a child. And you long, and you just wait, and you hope for the day. I just looked this weekend at the list from one year ago of everybody that lost a spouse in this church. Way too long a list to go through. But I just took the last few months... 
And I thought about each of these. I thought about Stuart and his loss of Carol. I thought, what would happen if you said to Stuart, hey, Stuart, does the resurrection make any difference to you? I will guarantee you, I've talked to him. He's going to say, you better believe. It is my great hope. I do believe in the resurrection, and it makes all the difference. Ask Sandy, who just recently lost Jack, been in our church for years and years and years. You just ask Sandy, hey, Sandy, does the resurrection make any difference to you? You better believe it does. There would be no doubt about it. Ask Jennifer, who just lost her dear husband, Greg. Ask her, say, hey, does it make a difference? The re-? You better believe it does. Ask Pat, who just a, few, just a few weeks ago lost Barbara. I saw him here last night in the service, and afterwards he came up and he hugged me with a bear hug so tight, and I know what he was saying. It's my hope to see her soon. It's my hope. Does resurrection make a difference? You better believe it does. What about Jennifer Williams? Our own Wade, down on our staff, first staff person here. I don't know how many weeks left he's got, but it's soon, unless God does an amazing, amazing work. You ask Jennifer. In fact, you don't have to ask Jennifer. You know why? Because my wife passed on an email this morning that she wanted to see me that, to read that she had written her little group of friends, including Carol. And Jennifer put it this way. As this Easter approaches, I find it a strange season. I've not had the usual time to reflect on Passion Week as I usually am doing, looking forward to Easter services, rejoicing and celebrating. I know there is much to be thankful for, and were it not for Easter, my hope would be in vain. She has no idea what I'm preaching about, by the way. My hope would be in vain, but our hearts are heavy with great grief. As I think of the cross and what it brought, bought for us, this reality is more clear to me now. The resurrection is the miracle that brings meaning to the brokenness of where we are, the gap in between the now and the not yet. The reality of Calvary reminds me again we were made for eternity so we groan, we long for forever with those we love. It's only natural, but as we pass through the veil, it hurts. And Jesus knows, he knew, he felt it, so we would not feel it forever. You don't think the resurrection makes a difference? <laughs> well, let me tell you, if no resurrection... These people, they have been fooled. Let me close with this. If and when, if and when I experience a, a loss of my most important dreams of this life, if that were to happen to me, you know what? I'd have one question I'd want to ask, and I'd ask it to me. And I'd want to know, what do I really believe on this? I would say, I would ask, do I really believe the resurrection took place? 
And if I say yes, which I am absolutely convinced that I would, at that time, I would say as much as it would hurt, I'm okay. If I were to face a moral temptation of an extreme nature and fail the test and find myself losing the things that mean the most to me in life, as bad as it would be, I would have one question to ask myself. When I came back to my senses, after whatever it would be that I'd done, I would say, is the resurrection true or is it not? And if it is, as bad as things might be, I'm going to be okay. If I lose Carol, if I lose one of my children, if I lose one of my grandchildren, I got one question I'm going to ask myself. I'm telling you, I'm going to ask it and I'm going to give the answer. It's going to be, do I believe in the resurrection? And if I do, I will be okay, as painful as it may be. And I believe this with all my heart. When I, if I am on my deathbed, have time to know soon before I'm about to die, that I am to die soon, I would just have one question that would be, was there a resurrection? Did Jesus rise from the dead? And if I say yes to that one, I'll tell you what, much as I hate to say goodbye to my loved ones here, I'd say, I'm okay. I truly believe that. But if there's no resurrection, and no hope, none whatsoever. Christian, if Christ rose, and you believe that, and your life is inconsistent with your belief of the resurrection, why wouldn't you say right now, new day starting now, I'm going to pursue Christ. I want to get to know him better. Some of you who are Christians, you don't come to church every week. You've drifted, and you know, you just drifted away. You know, Cyprian, the early church father, he had the statement, he said, if God is your father, then the church is your mother. You know what I would say? Come back home to mama. Mama is saying, come back. You need a community. You need a place of truthfulness. You need an environment of people who do know the truth and who live it out in their purpose. Come back home. Find you a place of worship. If not here, somewhere where the truth is proclaimed and the people of God live out their faith, you come back home. For you that are seekers to say, I don't know, you find a place to investigate. And whether you be a seeker, whether you be a, a believer, we hope you, this would be a safe place. That's what we designed this place to be from day one, a safe place to grow in the faith or to figure out the faith. I'll give you three options that might help you that we could offer. Number one, when you leave, and this would be for those that are not our perimeter people, our guests that are here. We've got a copy of The Answer. It's a little book. It's 80 pages of print, I think, if that many. It's a little short book that I wrote. And I simply took the stuff that I meet with people individually over lunch, and I said, this is the stuff that seems to help them in their investigation. I'll just put it in a little book. And it's called The Answer. It's finding, you know, putting an end to search of, for life satisfaction. Pick one up when you leave and go read it. See what you think. Second option would be, why don't you come? 
Whether you're a Christian and not connected to the church or whether you're, you're not even sure you're a Christian or know that you want to be, why don't you just try coming to what we call our Taste the Perimeter? Once a month, Carol and I have a covered dish dinner with usually a couple hundred people, and we meet in the fellowship hall right behind here, and, and people don't have to say anything, do anything. There's no pressure, to, you know, but we just tell the story of Perimeter, what happened in those first years. What an inspirational story. Come, just check it out. Or here's the third thing, and the last thing could be an offering. It, this, each one progressively takes more time. But why don't you come to the next series we're doing in this church? It starts next week. I'll be teaching it for five weeks. It's in a series that uh, is dealing with the idea of loving generously. What's so intriguing about this, it's a series wrapped around a movie we're going to watch together. It's a movie that two of our own people have created and when you hear that, don't think of it's a little home done deal. It's, it's pretty special. Five, seven minute clips. And we'll use one per week and it'll build week to week. You'd be amazed as we teach around it what love is really all about. It could give you a great insight into the faith of Christianity and how to grow up strong as a Christian. In fact, I would like for you to kind of get a little feel for this little clip. So I'm going to give you the trailer to it right now. Again, a couple of our people here made it. See if you think it might be worth watching over the next five weeks. Give your attention to the screen. Frank, Cassie, welcome to Seed Time Garden Supply Partners. This is Thomas and his fiance, Julia. We've enjoyed getting to know them at the kitchen. It's great to meet you, Thomas. I never knew you could grow so close to people so quickly. We are so extremely grateful for everyone around this table and I can think of nothing better than to share our wedding with you. Are those some of the same people from the soup kitchen again? Yeah. Allison, hey! Uh, you want to meet Julia? Sure! Oh, sweet. I don't think that's such a good idea. They have company. For now, this is just an informal warning. But if you insist on continuing to put our community at risk, we'll be forced to consider probationary status. Probationary status? Mark and Marianne, you're on board with this? We've been friends since our kids were in diapers. Cassie and Frank, you have invited us into your lives, and we can't ask you to sacrifice your friendships as well. Last chance, Frank. Do I need to call the police? I did a series a year or so ago around a five-part movie that they did as well, and it was called Living Generously. If you would like to get to know the characters, though it's a clean start with a new story, but if you'd like to know the characters, it would mean all the more. For this week only, you can go online to perimeter.org slash livinggenerously. If you can just remember Living Generously, and you can watch the five-part, 35-minute or so uh, movie that will kind of help you get to know the characters just a little bit better. And I would encourage you to, let's be a part of this next series. I think it's going to be a, a life changer for many. So I'm looking forward to it as well. Whatever the case be, Christian or seeker, if Jesus rose from the dead, why not follow faithfully? You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. 
please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.